It's good to be with you guys again. I was privileged to receive an invitation a couple months ago, and I said, Pastor Ron, can you be here first week in February? I said, sure, be, be glad to. And then it dawned on me that that was Super Bowl weekend. <laughs> and at the time, the, the, the Steelers still had a possibility of being in the big game, but I think the guys knew the Browns had no chance and I would be free this weekend. So, <laughs> always good to see you guys. I'm going to share the Word of God with you this morning, and we've entitled our message, Chasing Down Lions and Overcoming All Odds. Um, speaking of odds, before the season began, the odds were in the Browns' favor to win the division and perhaps even make it to the Super Bowl, but I've learned over the years that uh, from the world of sports, and particularly from the Word of God, Odds have nothing to do with the actual outcome of any event. I'm going to share some thoughts with you this morning about making sure we don't let anything stop us from doing the most important things that God wants us to do in our lives and taking on those very assignments that he's planned for us, no matter what the odds appear to be. Many of us have a natural tendency to shrink back from assignments that seem to be daunting or or overwhelming when the odds are stacked against us. And, you know, in our competitive culture, and particularly, again, in the world of sports, we constantly hear this, this term, what, what are the odds, what are the percentages, what's the likelihood of something happening relative to a victory or to a defeat? Who has the superior strength in this confrontation? And sometimes overwhelming odds make people assume victory or defeat even before the event ever takes place. Sometimes the odds actually hinder the participants from going all out because they've already made it up in their mind that I don't have a chance, I can't win. As believers, we should know better than to let the odds prevent us from doing anything the Lord calls us to do because God is never intimidated by the odds. Sometimes he doesn't even show up and show out, as we used to say, and until his children are convinced that they cannot possibly win without his intervention. I, I think Gideon learned that lesson well. Now, over this past week, week and a half, we've been involved in conversations about the brevity of, of life, and uh, the Kobe Bryant death caused a lot of people in our circle to start talking about, what are the odds of that? Someone young, rich, wealthy, famous, and then suddenly gone. Well, the Bible would make that clear all the time. And, and James said it, you know, our lives are but a vapor that vanishes away. And, and we shouldn't say all this stuff we're going to do tomorrow and the next day unless the Lord wills it. And, and even David said when he was being chased by King Saul, he said, as my soul lives, there's just one step between me and death. That's just the reality. And so the warning again and the conversations being generated and these kind of things remind us to make sure you're ready because you just never know how many tomorrows you may have left. We lost a dear member in our congregation. He was at church the previous Sunday and then you get the call during the week that he uh, died of an asthma attack. And... Uh, Family came to us, of course, and we, we talked about the homegoing service, and I said, be honored, love to. I'm scheduled in Pittsburgh this weekend, so any time other than Saturday, we can do it. General schedule for Saturday at 1 o'clock. 
<laughs> I, I knew I couldn't miss that service, and I wanted to honor my word to be here, and the Lord worked it out. Everything went beautifully well. We got on the road about 3 o'clock, got here in time, and so what were the odds of that working out that perfectly? But when God wants you to do something, it can happen. So... <clears throat> We're going to talk about chasing down our lions and overcoming all odds. And fear is always a factor when the odds are against us. So it's imperative that we learn to surrender to our Lord Jesus Christ and let him conquer our fears and teach us to never back down from our spiritual enemy. In our passage today, we're going to learn some very valuable life lessons from men of God who defied the odds. Be Because, as I said earlier, not everyone gets the chance to get it all together before their time is up. And in our passage today, we're going to see King David reflecting on some things as he came near the end of his life. He got to write down some thoughts in the Word of God that we're going to share. I'm in the process of writing a few books about the lessons I've been learning from the kings of Israel and and Judah. And then as I was doing my study, one man in particular captured my attention, and he wasn't one of the kings, but he faced odds that few people have ever encountered, and through the power of the Lord, he emerged victorious. I'm going to ask that you open your Bibles to Second Samuel chapter 23. I'm going to read for you from the Word of God, the first seven verses, Second Samuel chapter 23. The Word of God says, now these are the last words of David. Thus says says David, the son of Jesse, thus says the man raised up on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord spoke by me and his word was on my tongue. The God of Israel said, the rock of Israel spoke to me. He who rules over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be like the light of the morning when the sun rises A morning without clouds, like the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house is not so with God, yet he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire. Will he not make an increase? But the sons of rebellion shall all be as thorns thrust away, because they cannot be taken with hands. But the man who touches them must be armed with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they shall be utterly burned with fire in their place. Father and our God, we just pray that you would minister your word to each of us, open the eyes of our understanding, help us to receive the message you brought us here to receive this day. And help us, Lord, go forth with a desire to obey anything and everything you teach us, uh, ready to chase down our lions and overcome the odds in the name of Jesus. We thank you and pray. Amen. Amen. David's writing down some thoughts as he comes near the end of his life. And, And so as you look back over your life, are you able to confidently affirm the Lord has used you to reflect his light to others? David seemed to know he was approaching the end of his days on earth, and he's being reflective of the Lord's goodness and mercy in his life. He reflected on the blessing of having been anointed by the Most High God and how he had learned to sing praises to him. 
God had spoken to him and he was blessed to speak God's word to others. He'd also learned that those who represent Christ must rule with justice and righteousness and recognition of the God whose character we are to represent. The chapter before in, in 2 Samuel 22 is David's reflecting on what God has done for him and what he's learned about the Lord in his life. Some of the terms that he used in the previous chapter, he said, the Lord is my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. He's the God of my strength. He's my shield. He's the horn of my salvation. He's my stronghold. He's my refuge. And he's my savior. These are some of the things he learned about his Lord over the years. He recognized that God had established a covenant through his family line to bring our Messiah into the world. And every child of God should be able to say that the Lord has established a permanent covenant with them. And every detail has been planned and secured. David realized that he had been so blessed by the Lord that his family line was chosen to bring our Messiah into this world, that he would always have a son to reign and rule on the throne. And he knew that son was to reign and rule in the fear of God and must be just. And even though things weren't always right in his family line, he knew that ultimately he would have a son that would reign and rule in justice and righteousness, our Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We have an eternal covenant with him that also guarantees the deepest desires of our heart. This passage reminds us that good leaders, influential believers, should be like lights in a dark place. We should be the ones the Lord can use to bring refreshment to others in need. This passage also reminds us that Evil persons have nothing to look forward to but the judgment of God because of their rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as David is reflecting on all that God has done in his life and, and through his life, the, the last part of chapter 23, there, there's a lot of names listed. These are names of what we call David's mighty men. These are the, the warriors that God sent in his life to fight the battle along side of him and every servant of the Lord should acknowledge the other warriors that God has used in their lives to help them accomplish his mission. There's a list of names here that some may not be familiar with to you, but you're going to see persons used by God to help and fight with David to protect the people of God. And each one of us should take the time to thank God for the other warriors that he sent into our lives to fight the battle with us. And as we rightfully celebrate Pastor Rock and over 35 years of exemplary faithful leadership here, I'm sure he'd be the first to tell you that God sent a lot of other warriors along the way, a lot of men and women to fight the battle with him. And this passage shows us that God takes notice of every individual that steps in to the fight. I, I often tell people when they get bogged down in the names and Samuel and, and Chronicles and other places, I said, this is God's way of reminding you that not one person escapes his attention. You may not be world famous, but if you've done anything for the kingdom of God, it has been noticed. 
There were times David had between 400 and, and 600 men faithfully fighting alongside of him, even when King Saul was trying to take his life and chasing him down like he was a dog. This particular section talks about David's mighty men, usually a group of 30. The number was fluid. There was some changes along the way. You'll see more than 30 names, but this group was like his elite secret service bodyguard of warriors that helped to keep him safe. I also happened to notice as I was doing my homework that we take note of the fact that King David never lost a battle when he was fighting in the name of the Lord. But he lost some significant battles when he failed to fight his own fleshly desires. Is that your experience that you, you fight well when you're fighting for the cause of Christ, but then you drop your guard when it's time to fight your own sinful fleshly desires? That's a fight that you have to keep fighting. Odds are you're going to face some overwhelming challenges in your life if you're committed to bringing glory to God. And how you handle them will define your legacy and your kingdom impact. I want to spend a few moments looking at the resumes of some of these men that God has brought to our attention in this passage. Men who fought well when the, the odds were Against them. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 8, you see a man by the name of Joshua Bashabeth. I'm, I'm going to call him Josh. Uh, <laughs> but, but it says Josh fought off and killed 800 men in, in one battle, and his only weapon was a spear. Then in verse 9, you read about a man named Eleazar and says he stood with David when they defied the Philistines, when others were intimidated by the odds. He fought victoriously so long that the scripture says his hand cramped up and, and stuck to his spear. But then this text also says that the Lord gave the victory. See, our job is to get into the fight. It's the Lord's job to give us the victory. Okay. It says the others came back to partake of the spoils after the battle. But I want to be one of, one, one of those who stay strong in the fight. And while you won't be called upon to, to have your grip on a physical sword so long that your hand cramps, how, how about that word of God? That, that should be what your hand is cramping up on, that, that I've had my Bible, my sword of the spirit in my hand so much that I feel like it gets locked to it sometimes. We also read about a man named Shema who fought the Philistines on a plot of ground that says it was full of lentils. And I said, well, that's interesting. Why did they point that out? Well, maybe he was just protecting the, the valuable crops in that area, and he was going to take on the enemy right there. And the Bible says, again, the Lord gave the victory. Get in the fight. Let him give you the victory. Then in chapter 23, verse 15, it talks about David suddenly having this longing for a drink of water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And, and verse 16 says, Three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, took it, and brought it back to David. Nevertheless, he wouldn't drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. He said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men? who went in jeopardy of their lives. Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. These men traveled 
between 10 and 15 miles back to Bethlehem to get David some water. Came back through the Philistine camp again to bring the water to their leader. And David saw this as such an act of dedication that they literally risked their lifeblood just to bring him some water that he had to pour it out in sacrifice. I can't drink this. You guys risk too much. This is this is a, this should be a sacrifice to the Lord, not something that just satisfies me. He was surrounded by some good men. Talks about a man named Abishai who fought and defeated 300 men and his only weapon was a spear. And then in verse 20, come to a man that has become one of my new heroes. A man by the name of Benaiah. Verse 20 of chapter 23 says that he was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel who had done many deeds. Let, let me pause there for a second and, and say that Benaiah had an advantage that a lot of young men don't have today. He had a father who showed him what it meant to be courageous. He had a father who had done some valiant deeds and who he could look up to as a role model. And we're still looking for men to fulfill that role in our world today. Courage had been modeled to him and So it says here that he killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. Verse 21, he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. He went down to him with a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, and killed him with his own spear. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and won a name among three Mighty men. I want to talk about Benaiah for a moment. I, I think this brother deserves a little bit of attention. He took on a lion. I'm sure he and David bonded quickly because, as you recall, on, on David's resume, when he was a young man, he, he said, when I was protecting the sheep, a bear came one day and a lion came another day and they they took away one of my, my sheep and, and, and had the sheep in its mouth and your servant went after them. <clears throat> killed the bear. Killed the lion. Rescued the sheep. <clears throat> and I don't know about you, but <clears throat> had that been my job, <clears throat> I think I would have reported home to my employer that, that you know, we lost a couple today because uh, <clears throat> I don't think I'm taking on a bear or a lion to rescue a sheep. But that's the kind of integrity that God saw in David's heart. And so I'm sure he and Benaiah clicked well because Benaiah had that same kind of courage. I will fight a lion if that's what it takes. The odds are you'll continue to have encounters with your spiritual enemy, that roaring lion who goes about seeking to devour us. Will you stand strong in the Lord or are you going to run away? from those kind of battles. Odds are that fear and exhilarating times can occur from the same experience. I I think whoever invented the roller coasters figured that one out. It, It never ceases to amaze me to watch people 
yelling and screaming and literally terrified. And then they get to the end of the ride and say, man, that was fun. (laughs) No, that was scary. (laughs) But it's amazing that sometimes fear and exhilarating experiences can take place at the same time. And and I believe that's what Benaiah went through. Paul said he faced some intimidating circumstances. You you see there in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, around verse 4, when he said he was going into Macedonia, and he he admitted that he could find no rest. He he said, outside were fighting and and inside were fears, but God sent Titus and others to him to help comfort him and keep him engaged in the battle. Benaiah struck down two of Moab's mightiest soldiers, But the text says he chased a lion into a pit on a snowy day. Fought a lion on slippery ground and lived to tell about it. Let's talk about courage. Let's let's talk about facing odds. I I did a little homework on, on lions. It said lions can weigh over 500 pounds and can crush human bones with one bite. Lions can run 35 miles an hour. They can leap 30 feet. They can see five times better than a human being with 20-20 vision. Their intimidating roar can be heard for miles. A a lion roars to to mark its territory, to intimidate, to gather their pride, to announce that they've cornered their prey. They roar to create fear. They roar to scatter a flock so that the weakest one and the youngest ones and the oldest ones are exposed and they typically get attacked first. But this man, in order to protect something or someone that he felt had value, chased down a lion. Again, I'm inclined to think if the lion goes this way, I'm going that way. (laughs) But he chased down a lion into a pit on a snowy day to bring safety. When the odds were clearly stacked against him, he came out victorious, glory to God. But why is this incident in scripture? Who chases lions? See, the odds are you will either face your spiritual lions or spend the rest of your life running from them, being chased by them. Isn't it time for you to stop and take a stand. Why are we always running from Satan instead of attacking his kingdom of darkness? Where do these fears come from? Well, psychiatrists tell us that we're born with only two fears, of loud noises and falling. All other fears, they tell us, are acquired. And we can reprogram our minds through the word of God to unlearn those fears. I had a strong fear of coming to Pittsburgh for a long part of my life. So, uh, but salvation in Christ can overcome those fears. Because <laughs> the Bible tells us that as we read the Word of God, our minds are transformed, our minds are rewired, renewed, as we allow the Word of God to overcome those fears, those strongholds that we once faced and we can chase our lions. The Bible tells us that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church. We should be on the attack. Because see, the odds are when you choose to face and chase down your lions, the lion of the tribe of Judah will come and empower you for the victory. 
Benaiah came out victorious because God gave him the victory, and he's still able to do that for you if you're willing to take on the odds and fight the battles that he wants you to fight. As you read through the rest of chapter 23, you come to verse 39, and you're going to see a name that just jumps out at you, a name of Uriah the Hittite. See, odds are there will be some setbacks and defeats in your life as you fight your spiritual battles, but make sure you don't let your regrettable actions keep you from fulfilling life and having a glorious future. David could never reflect on his mighty men without thinking about that one that he betrayed with the adultery, with the murder, dishonoring God. One of his soldiers, one of his mighty men, he betrayed him. See, none of us is going to cross the finish line without having some regrettable actions. But it's good to know that we serve a God who can wash away every sin that we've ever committed and give us that forgiveness that we need. He, he doesn't want us to live in defeat because we didn't always live in victory. We may not have had a good start. You may not be doing well right now, but you can finish well. If you let the line of the tribe of Judah be your hero, help you to fight the battles that you need to fight and know that you have complete forgiveness in him. See, the kingdom of God still needs men and women who know that the odds have nothing to do with the actual outcome of any event. Have the faith to believe in the God who shows up and shows out when victory is impossible without him. Maybe you can finish with having Lion Chaser on your resume. But the kingdom of darkness has no chance when you're around and God is working in and through you. Let's stop running from the fight and run to the fight and win the fight in Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.